This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The moment you believe in yourself and how much you matter is the moment you become unstoppable. Michelle Nelson Schmidt. Valeria Tellez interviews Michelle. She is the author of the What If Monster chapter book series. Michelle Nelson Schmidt has been an author slash illustrator since 2011, when her first two books, Dogs, Dogs and Cats, Cats, were released. She has since published 15 additional books for children. She's currently creating a series of early reader chapter books based on her most popular picture book, Jonathan James and the What If Monster. Michelle travels the country extensively during the school year, visiting schools with a goal to talk to as many children in this country as she can to share her message of dreaming big and attaining your goals through hard work and perseverance. Michelle strives to create books for children that will make them feel safe, loved, and to help them understand how very much they matter to this world. Her books are filled with inclusion and diversity so that as many children as possible will see themselves within her books. Since 2011, she has spoken in schools, libraries, and community centers in 43 states, visited over 1,000 schools, and spoken with over a million children. She's a tireless advocate of literacy and empowering children through books. With hundreds of thousands of books sold, she is one of her publisher's best-selling authors. Meet Michelle at mnscreative.com. Here is the interview with Michelle Nelson-Schmidt. Onwards, who is Michelle Nelson Smith? I have been so many things and I am so many things. Um, but what I think I have come to think of myself the most in the past five years probably is somebody that helps heal with words and pictures, um, especially children. But a lot of adults have come to be included in that group, too. So author, illustrator, mom, wife. Um, but yeah, I, I like to write books that heal uh, children and adults. Your work certainly does that job because of the important messages that they have. I had access to the uh, What If Monster Chapter book series some of those books so i'll be exploring those topics some of the topics that i have seen but yeah i love your mission that's a beautiful one michelle when you speak of uh, you're an illustrator that's an interesting thing because images and symbols 
those are very much connected to uh, deeper processes in the human mind or body or whatever that is, but they call the soul as well. So that's wonderful to know. So before I ask you questions related to your work, let me ask you some warm-up questions, as I mentioned off-record. The first one for you had to be this one. What does it mean to be a human being to you? To be a human being to me is to experience, to grow from experiences. And that includes the, the brutality and heartache of living this life. It is so difficult to be a human being. And, um, I, I strive, I'm an optimist. I'm a natural optimist. Um, I experience joy and happiness probably daily, but my growth where I have grown the most as a human, um, has been in those times of darkness and heartache. And I went in my twenties was probably my hardest times. And uh, for so long, it was get out of that. That was my um, drive to get out of those hard times, what I was going through. And looking back, I realized that's where I figured out who I was. That's how I found my strength. And then I've used that to grow as a human being. And, um, and I, I, nobody embraces the hard times, I guess, but I remember I, when I'm going through those hard times, when I'm having those really difficult moments or grieving or pain, I remember that on the other side of that is the growth and I'll be so much more and I can offer so much more. And, and service is probably my highest calling. I feel, um, that again, in the last few, especially dealing with children is, um, to be human being is to be here to serve and to love. And that's, that's what I try to do. <laughs> yeah. What love is to you, Michelle? Uh, to me, love is the universal energy source. Um, I think we are all made of love. I think that the zero point energy is, it is love. And when we we try and live from that place. Um, life gets easier. Things fall into place. Even when the bad things happen, it's a, it's the most natural resonance. And I think when we give love freely to others, um, in the form of whatever it is, prayer or meditation, or just thought and send out loving thoughts, um, things fall into place. Life makes more sense. Yeah, that's, Absolutely. What wouldn't make sense with love? It's uh, impossible not to make sense if there is love, right? Yeah, it, it's like air. It's it's necessary, and um, and when we we forget to live from that place, or we realize we've blocked it, that's where I think we find the most challenges and difficulties. Is when we just forget that that's what our purpose is: is to love and be loved. That's another interesting point you mentioned. So our challenges basically come from blocking love. I was going to say, I, I bring it because the children are always in my heart. Uh, and this year with the uh, not being able to travel, it's been difficult. But um, I have a, a web show that I do every Wednesday called Storytime. And, and when it comes into um, 
bullying and kids that are mean or anybody that's mean. I try to remind children and I say, mean people need are the people that need love the most. Because if you're angry or mean, you are missing love. And I said, and I know that seems counterintuitive, but we have to do exactly the opposite of what we think we should do is and love on them. And we got to love on the mean people. And it really, it makes a difference. That reminds me of um, a very powerful idea of unconditional love, just loving no matter what, without conditions. Would you say that this is a moment of understanding or a practice for life? Oh, I, it, it's a practice. I try very hard to, whenever I find myself angry with somebody, um, which as an adult um, can be often these days, I stop myself and I say, I, I have to understand that they're feeling that way and they're coming across that way for a reason that I don't know. And It could be from a place of hurt. It can be from a place of lack. And when you remember that, compassion takes over. And you don't, you don't necessarily, you can't change that person, but you can change your reaction to that person. And that's, yeah, that is a lifelong learning and practice. <laughs> and I'm not always <laughs> successful. I have another question for you here about life. What do you think is the purpose of life, the human experience? Is there a destination? I personally believe in reincarnation. I believe we are, our souls are on journeys and we've been on this journey for a very long time. I don't think it ends. And I think it is to constantly elevate ourselves to higher and higher beings of frequency and light and love. Um, and that takes an incredibly long time, I think. And, um, and again, that's part of my reason that when something difficult is happening, I try to embrace it for what it's teaching me and what it's, I'm trying to learn from it. And it doesn't mean it's easy and it doesn't mean I'm always successful at that. But if you, if I try to remember that this is a journey I'm on and it's, It just, um, it helps. It helps to think that, but I think it is to become better and more enlightened souls as we go through life. I think I heard this week, somebody say that enlightenment, it's becoming lighter. So bringing light, lightness to our lives in the way of um, perhaps uh, using more sense of humor. Um, I don't know, doing silly things. <laughs> more often being silly more often <laughs> absolutely not taking life quite so seriously because it is not this one lifetime is not the end all be all there's so much more my belief is there's so much more after this and that we cannot get caught up in the minutia because we are meant to to laugh and have fun while we're here where did they come from those beliefs you have about reincarnation I was not raised in a religious family at all. Um, I've never gone to a traditional, any kind of traditional organized religion or church or temple or anything like that. Um, and it wasn't until I had children and I had children young in my early twenties, had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and, um, and I think that connection to another 
human being like that, it opened up something in me and I began to search and it's always been an inner feeling. I've always had a very strong inner sense of there is more. Um, and I, it's funny, I'm raised by one of my parents is an absolute atheist, 100%. And, um, that is, I've often had conversations with my father (laughs) and said, there's just that. And I said, you know what, when at the end, you're going to just be so surprised and you're going to have to come back somehow and be like, Michelle, you were right. Um, and so I've read so many books, just trying to learn and, and see what resonates and what feels right. And the more that I learn, the more that I documentaries, I watch, um, the more I have this sense of the reincarnation. And I always kind of feel like so many religions, like all get it kind of right and all get it kind of wrong. And I guess I'm not really going to know until after I move on to the next, but, um, I just know it feels right for me. And that to me, the more I research it, the more it just does seem to make sense to me. Yes. What do you love most about being a woman? Oh, getting to be a mother that, um, uh, the nurturing of it. And I had my children, myself, my biological children, but I mean, I think it's the nurturing instinct that I think most women naturally have, whether you birth a child or take on, you know, you adopt or however. Um, but just even with my husband, the nurturing, and I'm not a real traditional housewife. So that doesn't, just cause you're nurturing doesn't mean you know how to cook or clean very well. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but just that, that wanting to care for in that nurturing, um, that is my thing. And, and, um, and it's so funny because when I was a kid, you could not have paid me to enough money to babysit. I did not want to babysit to make extra money. I would cut a lawn. I would deliver newspapers. I didn't want to entertain small children. And I think it's pretty funny that my whole entire career now, and it happened when I had children, this whole new part of me opened up. And that is exactly what I do now is I, I entertain children. I write for them. I draw for them. I want to make them, I want the children of this world to just feel safe and loved exactly how they are. And I don't know if I could do it if I was a man. Um, but I think it comes very naturally to me. So that's my favorite part of being a woman. Yeah. It sounds wonderful to me. The nurturing yeah, aspect. Have you had any challenges for being a woman? Yes. Um, especially in my career, um, I, men in this field in children's book writing and illustrating tend to get a lot more recognition much quicker. Um, I don't know if it's because there's a lot of very successful men in this career and it's, um, there's been experiences and I'm, I'm thinking through this, being careful not to say name names, but I think me being a female, I have been patted on the head, if you will, several times. Um, uh, there's only about 2% of authors and illustrators that can make a full-time living off of their work. And I remember way back telling my editor saying, I will be one of those people. And I got sort of patted on the head and it wasn't 
it only took me a few more years and that very much became the case. Um, and I don't think I, I think a man would have gotten a lot more credit for saying he was going to go out and do that and then do it. I got no real recognition on that. And, um, and some of that, you know, that's, that's ego. That's my ego as well, wanting the recognition. But I do think that, um, I don't, I don't get quite as much as if I had been a man. Um, I was, I've, I've won contests, I've won things. And I, I, I just, I think it's the man thing. I think men get opportunities and get looked at more seriously too. And then my, and then me being a female in what I do, I think it's looked at differently as a woman. It's like, oh, that's a nice hobby. You make books for kids. But when a man does it, oh, you must be very successful because that's a hard field to make it in. And they get a different kind of thought for them making it than for me making it because, oh, well, you have a husband at home. So um, even if you didn't make very much money, doesn't he, isn't that why you can do that? Whereas if a man does it, nobody asks what his wife, if she makes a good income. So to that, constant and it's there and it exists. And, um, and I made it my goal to make sure I made as much money as my husband one day. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Do you think that this is changing somehow becoming somehow better for us? I think in general, I think over time, yes, I think you can look back and see where women were in the 50s compared to now. And it's incredibly it it is all moving absolutely in the right direction. Um, a little quicker wouldn't hurt um, with the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg recently. Um, you know, she said somebody said, well, when will there be enough women on the court? And she said, when there's nine. And people were taken aback, like nine women on the Supreme Court, but nobody, nobody bats an eye if there's nine men on the court. So when something like that can happen, and it's just as not batting an eye for nine women or nine men, I think that's when we'll be there, when something like that cannot be questioned. Right. Yeah. Not so we're heading yeah. there. Yeah, we're getting yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love your optimism. And, but I believe that too. Yeah, that we are getting somewhere with this. I think they call it equality and yeah. values. I connect to values. Just um, we have the same values. It doesn't make sense. Men to be better than women, women to be better than men. Or for that matter, no one's better than anybody. We are different. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. At this time... What do you think we need the most? Um, compassion. Yeah. <laughs> um, compassion to understand that we are all in different parts and in different, we're all going through this storm, but we don't all have the same, we don't all have the same boat. We don't all have the same supplies. We don't all have the same uh, support. And when we assume that, you know, everybody else is equal in that regard. We are not, and we have to have compassion that this is so much harder for some people than other people. And it is so much scarier for some people than other people. And if we would just open our eyes up and, and our hearts up and be compassionate and say, just because this is my experience 
I have to remember that is not everybody's experience. And I think kindness and compassion is what is so needed right now, besides a vaccine. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's a good practical message. (laughs) And my last warm up question is about freedom. What is freedom to you? What is to be free? To be free. And I am so lucky in this, and I, I'm so aware that so many people don't have what I have, um, is that I get to wake up every day. I get to do what I love. I get to learn new hobbies. Um, I get to speak my mind. I get to have an opinion. I get to have enough money to pay my bills. I and really it's that I get to wake up and do what I love every day and it supports me. And I'm, again, I feel very grateful for that and lucky because I do, I have the freedom I've, you know, I've learned and I have, I have not made money in my past. I mean, I have been on welfare. I have had food stamps. I have had no money. And I've also now am at the point where, um, I can, I know how to make money. I have an audience. I know how to make things and create things. And I'm so lucky. And that, that is a freedom. And I think the most is that I'm allowed to be who I want to be in this world. Would you say that this is your purpose to be an author and illustrator? I think right now it is, it feels very much my purpose. Um, and I, I, I always said, I hope I will be writing books and creating until my last breath. And unless the universe has a different, like there's just something I don't know about myself yet that I will discover down the line. But I think in general, my purpose is I love, gosh, I love people so much. I love (laughs) human beings. And I love, I have so much very high expectations for people because I believe in them so much. And I know we are capable of so much. And I'm the eternal optimist in that. You will not convince me otherwise. Um, There's those people that I don't like. I adore human beings in all of our messiness. And I just, I believe in them so much. So I, I hurt my, I hope my purpose is always encouraging others to be their best and find out who they are. So let's talk about your work. I guess the first question that I, I want to ask is about the process of creating your books, specifically the uh, What If Monster Chapter book series. Mm. Um, in 2012, just to back up and give the history, um, I was gifted the idea and the words uh, for Jonathan James and the What If Monster, which is a picture book that came out in 2012. And it is just about a little green monster. A little boy is half the first half of the book. A little boy is about to go try something. He's about to try baseball, try out baseball. He's about to jump off a diving board. He is about to climb a tree. And then this little monster says, "Mm, well, what if you get hurt? What if they laugh at you? What if you fall? And he's, and so he doesn't try. It stops him. And then halfway through the book, the little boy says, well, wait a minute. What if you're wrong? What if instead of concentrating on all the bad things, I concentrate on all the good things? And what if that happens? And then he goes and tries these things. And that book has sold so many copies. It resonates with children and adults. And 
And I'm kind of the person, which is ironic that I'm the type of person that, you know, I'll jump off the cliff and just the net will follow, you know, and I'm a real risk taker because I've had so many things in my life go wrong that I'm like, we'll see what happens. Um, But that book gave so many children permission to shift their thinking. And it's a simple, simple shift of because we can control what the what if is. Well, what if they laugh at me? Well, what if I'm good at it? Um, what if I practice? What if what if I end that, but I practice and what if I get better? And that tiny little shift, just oh my goodness. And I get so many letters and I get so many pictures, I get so many emails. Um, how life-changing that book has been for children and adults. And that has just always been in my head. It's by far my best-selling book. Um, and then this chapter book series came, it was this, it was a year ago in October that I had had some dental surgery and I was going to actually try and take two weeks off and do nothing, which Mm -hmm. never works for me because (laughs) if my brain has downtime, it comes up with an idea. And I said, you know what? I want to make this into a chapter book series. And I can see this whole series because there's so many what ifs and every single book can be a new what if. And I thought, oh, I can include so many children that I can't get into all my picture books because you only get 32 pages in those. And this is a whole series. And I was going to offer it to my publisher. And then I said, no, I want to do it myself because I want all the control. I want to know, I want to do the subjects. I want to be inclusive. I want to choose whatever I want. And I don't want a publisher to have to worry about, is this general enough? Is this broad enough? Will this appeal to the most people? And if I had that control, then I could do what I wanted. And so then I decided I was going to really bite off more than I can chew, which is what I regularly do. And I said, I'm going to make 18 of these books. And I'm going to release one a month starting in December. And that was huge. And ignorance is bliss because I did not understand exactly what I was asking of myself. But because I'm also a graphic designer and the illustrator and the writer, like I can do all these things myself. But I book number mm, 10 comes out next month and book number nine just released in October. And I've already got, I'm three books ahead. So, but I have, I don't know what I would have done if this pandemic hadn't happened because (laughs) I was traveling and I mean, I would have found a way I would have done it, but it's been, I work seven days a week. Um, pretty much there's always a time I'm working on the books because it is, the process is I write the book, I send it to my editor. When that book is at the editor, I'm usually illustrating the book before it. When that book illustration gets done, I get the edit. So it's a constant and it's, it hasn't stopped. And I have, I have never loved a project more than this. It has been such a heart project and the feedback that I've been getting and the books have been selling and I, and it's self-published. So it's, even more because it's just me. And I haven't even had time to market it because I can't, because I got a book coming out every month. So it is, it's been such a learning process about what I'm capable of, but, um, how I've been able to do what I wanted to do has been wonderful. I've wanted to include so many different children. I want, and even if it's just, there's this one little boy, Noah, and he is in Florida 
and he's, I think, seven years old, and he has long hair. And in one of the books, I have a little boy in the book, and he happens to have long hair, and he gets made fun of in the book. And, um, and he and he wrote me, and he goes, "Oh my gosh, I'm in the book." And it was a little thing, and we, and that's what we need to see ourselves. We we want to see ourselves. That's what we crave is we're not alone. There's other people like me. And that's what I wanted to do in the book. And whether it's just a page in there or it's the main character, that is what I'm trying to do. And boy, I'm trying to get as many children as I can. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. The message is there profound, although a lot of children's books, some people that I have interviewed, I have noticed that profound messages in a very simple way. And they can be applied by anybody, really. So I love the work you do because it's light. And speaking of enlightenment, like we were talking before, that sounds enlightening to me. Yet what happened to us, the children? How did they get stuck with the idea that they cannot be themselves if they try to be something else? Um, yeah, you know, and it's it's funny you should bring this up um, because I just had a dream the other night. And I have been... You hear over and over that in the first seven years of a child's life, that's that's our programming. That's we figure out by observation and watching and how we're treated. We get this belief system in the first seven years, and then we have to spend the rest of our lives deprogramming ourselves a lot of times. Um, and I'm somebody that I don't follow a lot of rules. Um, I break a lot of rules. I don't do things the way other people have done. Um, my past is very interesting past that I won't get into. There's so much, but I just have always chosen what's right for me. And, and sometimes that's made me be alone in the field or, or not be, I'm not like everybody else. I'm mean, even in my career. I, I, I don't fit anywhere a lot of times and I have my own category and I had a dream the other night that was so profound. And I woke up And, um, I'm going to give a little extra, but this is such a profound story. So I was in kindergarten and I had a a nun, I was in a Catholic school and sister Sebastian was my teacher. And I, I love this teacher. Uh, She was very harsh though, but for some reason, I just really liked her. I knew what to expect, but she had said, everybody needs to be quiet for 20 minutes and put your heads down or who knows what was going on. And the kids had been crazy. And she was though very clear, like, do not talk, do not raise your hand for anything. Well, I had to use the restroom. And, but I was like, sister Sebastian said, I can't raise my hand. I can't do anything. Well, and I ended up having an accident and I, you know, you're five years old and it's mortifying. And She took me back into a private area of the classroom where there was accidents where I guess common because she had all these extra clothes. And I remember thinking, why does she have extra clothes? But you're five years old. I guess these things happen. And she, I can't remember exactly what she said, but I remember the feeling of it very specifically. And in the dream, I had the words like I relived this in my dream just a couple nights ago. And I and she goes, why didn't you say anything? And I said, because you said we weren't allowed. And she said to me, sometimes you have to know that it's okay to break rules. And I think, because I was only five years old, that that became a major program of my software 
that I say to myself, if it's not going to hurt anybody and it's not, and it logically makes sense to not do something. And I think she gave me permission to have to step back and say, does this make sense for me to follow this rule or not? And it has defined my life. And it's so funny because, and again, until this dream, my, one of my favorite names in the world is Sebastian. I tutored a little boy in college named Sebastian. I always thought that was what I was drawn to. And then I named a character in my book and one of the chapter books, Sebastian. And it wasn't until that dream that I feel like that nun came back to me in my dream and said, it's me. It's because of me that you love the name Sebastian. And she did. I think that that and to your question of what what happens is I think school happens. We get these rules and but we we don't have the compassionate person that says, by the way, this isn't going to always be the rule. And this rule won't always make sense. And sometimes it's OK to be who you are. And that's going to be different. Um so yeah, we, we just get indoctrinated, I think. And I think I got really lucky when such an embarrassing moment was, was with such compassion. And then with this amazing message of sometimes you have to know it's okay to break the rules. And that is, that, yeah, that just has followed me through my life. And it was a dream revelation just a couple nights ago. <laughs> <laughs> I love that message too. What comes to mind for me, it's fear. I'm like, oh, how do we dare mm -hmm. to break the rules and do it anyway? <laughs> so how do you suggest we teach this to all children? I think to just put it out there and say, I tell kids to, um, so you have to find things that light you up inside and you, to do the things that bring you joy, you're going to have to try new things and to try new things. Sometimes it's going to be hard and sometimes it's going to be scary. And sometimes it's even going to make you cry. And we have to do those things anyway, because that's how we figure out who we are. So when you set the expectation up for a child, I think children just want honesty. They don't want us to tell them that life is just going to be rainbows and bubbles for the rest of the If we tell a child, sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes it's going to be hard, but we get through it. And that is what children, because in my talks, that's what resonates with the children is I'm that honest with them. And I tell them when I've been hurt, I tell them when I've been rejected, my failure, my tears. And I say, but look, I did it anyway. I got through all that. And if you don't, you have to be willing to get hurt. And when you say that, it that gives them permission. Okay, well, I can be hurt. I can get through it. Because then I say there's help. People, when bad things happen, there's always people that show up to help you. And you're not going to be alone when the bad things happen. And sometimes those bad things are definitely going to happen. But there will be people to help you. And I think giving that information to children, not tell them, well, just you've got to try and don't worry, like, let them know sometimes you're going to fall, sometimes you're going to you know, get the broken bone or you're going to, you know, you're going to fail the thing or you're going to be bad at it. And then you're going to ask for help and you're going to get practice. And, and that, but when you're looking for the joy on the other side of that mm. is that's where the permission is. Yeah. So being realistic and being honest with children is very important, right? Oh, they want, they want honesty. Yeah. yeah so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, we all do actually. Yeah. All of us, but perhaps children even more. 
Another topic is intuition. Do you teach your children to listen to their own intuition? Do you use that word? <laughs> um, I, I don't use that word. That is what I mean, though. I do tell children, I said, you've got to trust. I, and I say, and I did, the way I describe intuition to children is I say, it's a whisper from your heart and it only says good things. And if you're hearing a louder voice that says negative things, that is your brain. That is not necessarily the one to listen to. It, it's that, that tiny whisper and it only says the good things. It only suggests like, oh, maybe you should try that. Maybe you would like it. Um, and to trust that little whisper as much as you can. And it's, it's scary. It's scary. But I always say your intuition is never going to say negative, nasty things to you. That's usually <laughs> <True>. your brain. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And one more question that I have for you is about anxiety. So I see that in your books, <laughs> the anxiety issue, it's something that keeps coming back, the theme. So or the worries which is similar. It might be the same, right, Michelle? Anxiety and worries, would you put them yeah. in the same category? Definitely, yeah. yeah. So the question is, why is it so common among children? Mm. I think personally, because I've been in, I, I've been in over a thousand schools in 50 states. I've talked to close to a million children. Um, and it is, it is so prevalent. And I think... And I wish my book wasn't such a good seller because it is because of this problem. Um, I think we have moved so far away from play and joy for joy and play's sake. And we have, we're so scared of falling behind and we're so scared of our children not being intelligent enough or smart enough. And, and we have forgotten to be joyful, to find what gives us joy. And we put so much pressure on these children and they're hearing, but we're putting it on ourselves and children are not in a vacuum. They hear every conversation. We might think we're quiet. We might think they don't notice. They notice everything and they're hearing everything. And then the 24 seven news cycles, it's, it just has invaded their little brains and bodies. And, um, and we can't protect them from it. And I think we need, this is so, I guess this is idealistic of me, but we need to shift back to that. It goes to that lighthearted. We are not meant to be so serious. We are not meant to, and, and to understand we all are so different and children learn so differently. And there are some, I have two children. One thrived in the traditional school environment because it was a good test taker. His brain just worked. It was School was, traditional school was developed exactly for the type of person my son is. And he's now a kindergarten teacher, a very good standardized test taker, very good kid. And my daughter is this creative, um, just that traditional butterfly girl that she just, she needs to be outside. She needs to be doing things with her hands. If you show her how to do something, she will learn it so, so quickly. And she doesn't have this fear of failure. She just wants to try and get it right. But she um, had ADHD. She had reading. She had a phonetical reading difficulty. She had a very hard time reading. She had a very hard time learning in a traditional setting. And um, my son went to a four-year university and he did very well. And he graduated in four years. My daughter tried. She was an art major and she failed out of 
art school. And I think for an artist to fail out of art school, you really got to not like that traditional <laughs> schooling. Right. Yeah. Um, and she eventually went back and got, um, uh, an esthetician degree, um, doing makeup and hair and skincare and, you know, and, and she's so creative with her hands and she loves it. And the thing is, you know, she, talks to her clients. She's part of therapist, you know, she's a people person. She's a talker. And if I had tried to fit her into that mold that her brother fits so well, I think she would have been a miserable person because I, you know, she would have gotten all the wrong messages and it, we need to, and I do, I see a lot of people embracing that more and more, um, because I've had so much experience going across the country with different types of school settings. Um, but there are still so much stuck in that standardized testing and we got it and we, and schools are tied to their funding by how well kids do on the tests. And it doesn't, nobody asks how many of these kids are equipped to take those tests. Is that the right way to test it? That's not a question. And so, you know, the pressure on these teachers is, it, it's just, we need a shift. We need a fundamental shift in a different direction. And I wish I knew exactly how to do that, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're doing your part for sure. I, I'm, I'm trying. So pressure, that's interesting that you say it that way. And that goes back to what you have been saying, actually, that it is by trying to listen to others and live our lives as systems or other people want us to live that we become anxious and basically sick. Yeah, we're not being true to who we are. So thank you for your mission, Michelle. I really appreciate that. It resonates with my heart. I have goosebumps <laughs> because that means a lot to me that we change that. And I love the word you use to a shift, right? A transformation will lead to transformation eventually in the way we think. So we're almost at the end. I have a few more questions for you. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in one of your books? Oh, two of your books or more. <laughs> okay. And this, the, the chapter book that's coming out November 1st is called um, Different But The Same. And one of the main characters of that is a little boy named Reggie, and he has Down syndrome. And um, right now, October is Down Syndrome Awareness Month. And Jonathan James is picked to be the buddy because he's starting it's they're including him and it's an immersion um of him into the class and the children are they don't know what to expect and because it's different and they're not sure they get nervous and they're like oh how is it going to be different is are we going to have to do things different because he's slower than us and he talks different than us and he looks different than us and that's what the book is dealing with and uh what i what all these books are is when you just talk about these things and you just put it out there and we all talk, suddenly we find out that, oh, it's not really that big a deal. And it's not that different. And it's not. And um, in this book, Jonathan James finally embraces. He's like, oh, OK, I'm I'm going to be brave and because um, he needs me. This boy needs me. And he gets really scared. The little boy is introducing himself, Reggie, to the class and he gets scared and he runs away. And. So Reggie has just run away because he just got scared in the front of the class. And Jonathan James stood up and walked over to the reading corner. His heart was pounding. He was sure he hated this as much as Reggie probably did. Reggie was staring at a shelf of books. Jonathan James stood next to Reggie and said, hi, I'm Jonathan James. 
I'm going to be your buddy this week. No matter how scared you get, I'll be there for you. Promise. Reggie looked at Jonathan James. Sometimes kids laugh at me. Sometimes they're mean to me. I'm sorry. I promise I won't laugh at you or be mean to you, said Jonathan James. I am so scared. I just want to go home, Reggie whispered. We're a lot alike. I get scared all the time, said Jonathan James. Reggie smiled at him. Do you want to say hello to the class? I'll stay with you, said Jonathan James. Reggie nodded and the boys walked to the front of the class together. My name is Reggie. I love basketball and my favorite class is PE. I miss my friends from my old school. They all liked me and didn't care that I have Down syndrome. I hope you guys won't care either. And I'm really, really scared right now. I like basketball too, Paul called from the back of the room. Our PE teacher, Miss Penny, is the best PE teacher in the whole world. You'll love her, said Lily. One after another, kids called out nice things to make Reggie feel welcome. What a beautiful scenario. <laughs> and that's what I try to do with my books is just talk about it. We just got to talk about it. It's so much less scary. Life in general is less scary when we do it together. And um, so that's what all these books try to do. Somebody, and Jonathan James, of course, he's he's got a lot of anxiety. And, um, you know, we are all so much more alike than we are different. <laughs> oh, yes. Wow. Thank you again, Michelle, for your beautiful work and your beautiful heart. Yeah, that's coming from that place. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I do have a few more questions. Let me see. Two more questions for you. This one relates to the end of this journey. If you knew you would die soon, would you change anything in your life or do anything differently? I would not. Um, I've always said, I don't know how long I have. I don't know when this journey of mine is going to be over. So I live my life as if it could end at any time. And I love who I get to be every day. Um, and I try to make sure the people that I love in my life know that I tell them frequently. <laughs> um, because I do, I feel very much that this can be over in an instant and I don't want to have regrets. And I've been able to live that way for about the last 10 years now. And I feel very grateful. So I probably would not change anything. And my last question, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Oh, that just gave me goosebumps. Um, we are here to love others. We are here to serve. And we are here to experience joy and heartache all at the same time. Um, I think those are the three things that I know for sure. The goal is not necessarily joy the or the it is surviving it and that they're both that joy and heartache are not mutually exclusive to each other that it's it's part of it. It's all part of it. I love your wisdom. Thank you for sharing it. So it was a beautiful conversation. I love everything about it. Your message, your mission, your presence, your authenticity, everything. Thank you, Michelle. 
Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. I have one last question. This is a technical one. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Okay. Um, MNS for Michelle Nelson Schmidt, MNSCreative.com is my website. And then I'm very active on Facebook. So if you just put my name into Facebook, I have both my business page and my personal page. You can follow either one. I have a lot more fun things on my personal, but they're all very, I, I'm a very open book on Facebook. Um, and so those are probably the two best ways, uh, to connect with me. And I answer all my messages. I, I talk to everybody. I try to comment back on every single comment. I consider that part of my job that If somebody reaches out and connects with me, I try very hard to answer every single person. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. It was just a, such a pleasure. Bye for now, Michelle. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Michelle Nelson Schmidt and her work, please visit mnscreative.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.